Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Latter-day Disillusionment. Um, the podcast today is going to be so fun. I'm so tired, so I apologize, but I just want to really uh, get this done before I go to bed. But um, a really great friend that I've been able to meet through a John DeLynn retreat. Her name's Linda Barney, and she comes from uh, to us with such an amazing story and so much courage. Uh, I just am so excited for you to meet her, and so let's get into this podcast. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you, hey. Johnny? Linda, great. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. So so good to hear your voice again. It's been a while. Oh, it's been like, I think <laughs> it's been two years. I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Oh, oh my. It's crazy. Oh my. Um, we, uh, oh, uh, well, this is just so exciting. I'm, I'm super, super excited. Um, we, are, do you hear me okay on your end? Yeah. Yeah, I can okay. hear you. Great. All right. I hear you perfectly. So we're going to go. Um, I have to sit like right next to our router because our internet is not so awesome <laughs> over here in Sweden. So I, I mean, some people, it's not a Swedish thing. I mean, it's but just it's just our Where you happen to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So surprisingly, All I right. think Sweden has a lot of really good, uh, really good coverage, even though everyone pretty much lives in the woods outside of the oh, cities. Wow. Yeah, it's, do you love it there you know i i could almost make this whole podcast about how much i love it <laughs> wow yeah that sounds I have, amazing i have too many good things to say about sweden so i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> i mean feel free to ask anything you want but uh i i do feel like it it just turns into bragging i'm like oh my i just have got to stop but anyway <laughs> but i hope i hope to help educate and incite people into you know what could be if people were to just you know look seriously at Scandinavia's um, uh, systems and mindset and philosophy and if they were just yeah. to adopt some things I think many many people would benefit and there would be far lower corruption and um, just I think it would solve a lot of really uh, well, pressing issues, um, but yeah. not solve everything, obviously. So, right, but I think there is a lot to be learned there for sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. geez, it's it's so fun to finally do this, and I'm like, wow, this is so great. But anyway, so, so cool. yeah, uh, so excited to have you on the show. So everyone listening in, this is Linda. What what is your last name, Linda? I'm so sorry. Linda Barney. Barney, that's right. Yeah, LB. I love <laughs> your LB at the end of your posts on. Uh, oh Instagram. yeah. <laughs> Do you post on Facebook um, as well? I don't post that. Uh, I have two different Instagram accounts, and so I have a like a Linda B inspired, okay. and that's more of my business account that I um, post on, and I share that to Facebook. But the other stuff, uh, I just leave on Instagram. Okay. All right. Because there are people on Facebook that would be upset with me personal like close family members that I don't want to offend right now so yeah I just kind of don't go there wow um, I almost how, feel like I'm you... more anonymous on Instagram I don't know why but okay yeah I'm not really anonymous so 
<laughs> well, I know, but it seems like it is, there is just a little bit of, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than you just, it feels like it's not very mainstream or something. Like people just don't stumble onto Instagram accounts as easily yeah. as Facebook accounts. I think maybe Facebook right. is too easily shared and then people can get into these big old long debates just over, you know, words. And I think mm -hmm. Instagram is a great platform because it requires you to post a picture and, yeah. um, you know, uh, limited words. And I, I think, um, I think it, it suits you very well. I, I really like just Thank your you. very skinny, you know, uh, for, <laughs> formatting and it just is so oh, like the, the way I present the poetry. Yeah, it's the yeah. poetry on like a very skinny column, and it's I, yeah. I feel like it just really adds to just like a, just, a clip, you know, a short clip of yeah. momentum, and you're like, oh, this is, yeah. I just feel like it's less commitment if you only have to read a couple of words on a line, and then you just kind of get absorbed into it and keep going, rather than if you see a big, long paragraph, you're just going to go right past it. So that was kind yeah. of the thought behind that. Well, I think you you have um i think you have something going on there and um it really it really makes it nice and it makes me feel good as uh, as somewhat of more of a, uh, <laughs> a, a i don't want to say illiterate but someone that struggles to read and so mm -hmm. i'm like wow i feel so great having read such a, a big long thing when it's only yeah anyway, it's broken it's, down <laughs> yeah and, and people aren't really on instagram to read big long things anyway because like you said it's about the pictures and yep. um, it's about the visual aspect of it, but I am a writer but at heart. And so um, that's just kind of where my creativity comes out is in my writing. So I just kind of tried to make it easily digestible for people. Mm, well, I think you're doing a fantastic job. Thank and you. Yeah, no problem. So when we met, everyone who lis listening in, me and Linda met at a John DeLynn uh faith crisis retreat basically mm -hmm. i'll just call it um and uh in park city in park 2018 city. Yeah. yeah park city right yeah yeah and uh at that retreat um we had about 60 people i believe yeah between 60 and 70 i think yeah and, yeah. and quite a few staff as well like mm -hmm. licensed therapists and and um uh wow did you and your husband stay for the uh, the karaoke? No, we had dinner plans with friends that night, so we missed out on the the karaoke night. But what's funny about that is, I know that our friend Krista she did a rap with John Delin, uh from Hamilton. <laughs> remember? Were, were you there? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I had Krista on the show actually. Oh, awesome! I love her. She's an amazing woman. She is um, incredible, right? So she did that rap with John Delin, and I saw the video of it later, and I was like, "Oh, damn! I want to do that someday with John Delin." So <laughs> I literally learned that rap, and then I did it. I think it was this past uh, last. Was it in the fall or the summer one? I went to a, a retreat with a friend of mine and because she really wanted to attend. I didn't feel like, I kind of thought, oh, I'm past that. I don't need to do that. But then my friend wanted to go. So we went oh. to it and they had a karaoke night and they ended up doing that rap with John DeLynn that night. And <laughs> it was like dreams come true. It was awesome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Did you tell Krista that? No, and she inspired me though. And I need to let her know that that was well, like. I'm going to send this 
episode link right over to her as soon as we're yeah, done. Yeah, do it. Do it. I'm sure she will just be so so stoked to hear that you <laughs> that she impacted you. She in did. Such a she was my way. inspiration for that. She probably did it way better than I did, but um, <laughs> you know, oh, had to man. go there. I had to go there. It was oh, really fun. Wow, that is so fun. Well, we'll go there again if you want. No problem. <laughs> so this is a very loose. This is a very loose. Uh, uh, situ- well, not situation. What am I saying? Um, uh, it's format? very just loosey goose format. Thank you. Okay. All my Swedish and English are converging. Very like, my, yeah, my brain is like uh, a little bit of mushiness, and so imagine. anyway, but yeah, it's really fun. And <laughs> I finally get you know this experience that I always dreamed of, and I thought God would totally send me on a mission to Sweden because you know half Swedish. Mm-hmm. My dad's fluent. My grandpa was a uh, translator for for church headquarters from English to Swedish. He helped, you know, in so many ways. And I thought mm. for sure I would be, that you know, was, yeah, that was meant to be to Sweden. And, and then I was sent to a piece of shit, Pennsylvania. So <laughs> what do you do? Oh, no, but uh, <laughs> not even close. Yeah, <laughs> not even not even close. And it it's just so sad to have put I just I just read your last post before we started tonight because, or today, or for you, however, but mm-hmm. before we started this, I, I read your last post about how you, your biggest regret is that you didn't leave sooner. Mm-hmm. And I could just, I, it was just so, it resonated with me so much because that's exactly what I just said to Lindsay yesterday. I mm. thought, man, if I just could have thought about things just just a little bit more or or put a couple pieces of the puzzle together and to get me to a point where I could have just read something about all of this before I put in such an enormous amount of investment with my time in my life so I mean I just felt for you so much but enough about me let's talk about you so so getting into uh if you don't mind just covering a little bit about like your story of, of, um, of like what your background is with Mormonism and then kind mm-hmm. of, uh, leading into what caused the, uh, what caused the last straw to break the camel's back. Okay. Um, I grew up sort of in an inactive Mormon household. My dad was a member. My mom was never a member when I was a kid. She's from England. So I have like European ancestry. What? as well. And um, she came over and married my dad in the 60s, early 60s. And so I was in like a part member home, I guess you could call it, but my dad was not active. And my okay. grandma took me to church. My grandma was my uh, spiritual influence in my life. And um, I went to church with her and just came, it came to be my safe place. Church was where I went to feel safe. I uh, not that I always feel safe at home, but there was some was some issues in the home with alcohol and things like that that made me feel unsafe at times, just as a child, not knowing what was going on. Um, okay. And uh, so I went to church to feel safe, and I gravitated towards that safe feeling that I, and that feeling of peace that I got there. And so I always, you know, always attended uh, primary, always went to young women's. Uh, I met my husband and we married in the temple and our plan was to create 
this perfect family that I never had. At least that was my plan. I was going to create the perfect family that I didn't get to have growing up. Yeah. So, and I think that's kind of a common theme for a lot of people. Um, That is quite a, uh, I mean, I can resonate with, I mean, uh, I mean, we had, we had quite a, like a quote unquote perfect family, right? Everyone's going to church, everyone's dressing up, everyone's doing, you know, pretty much everything they should be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, But still there was that, like, something just wasn't right. You know, like dad was always just so furious and Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure it out. And anyway, but I could resonate with that. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Yeah, So church was my safe place. I married in the temple. I was going to create my perfect little family um, that I never got to have. And we were doing pretty good at doing that. We had three sons and they were, you know, all three wonderful young men. And uh, we were creating that little perfect happy family that eternal family that I had always wanted and dreamed of Mm -hmm. um and then when our uh I was trying to think like when the first (laughs) it's probably with my middle son um he started uh, at BYU and was having some issues with depression and um he came to me and he said mom I think I need to I think I need to go to a doctor I think I'm suffering from depression and I said okay let's like and my whole thing is like let's take care of this let's you know nip this in the bud let's do what we got to do so I I made an appointment with uh he was a medical psychiatrist but he was a medical doctor that treated depression and we got him in and he basically had him fill out a piece of paper that said do you have this do you experience this and all the answers were yes and um, I wasn't, Jer- Jaron, my middle son's name is Jaron. Um, he didn't want me to go in the room with him, even though I was that mom who went to every dentist appointment, went in the back, sat with them, went at every medical appointment. Like I was always the mom who was like right there and involved. And he's like, you can't come for this one, mom. And so after he came out, we had a prescription paper in his hand and he said, we got to go, you know, I'm, I'm depressed. I have depression and we're going to go get this prescription filled. And in the car, I just started asking him questions and I'm like, why? you know, why do you think this is happening? And why, why wouldn't I, why couldn't you let me go with you? Why couldn't I be with you and, and talk to the doctor? Cause I had all these questions. He's like, mom, I don't think you want to know. <laughs> I was like, you can just tell me. So finally, after a lot of going back and forth, he, um, I think he used the word same sex attraction. He said, mom, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm experiencing same sex attraction because that was kind of the way you said it in the church, right? Like you didn't say the word gay. Yeah, that was like, you don't get, yeah. Um, and I said, okay, well, I, I was devastated. Like I didn't, I, I was like totally, I think I knew, but I didn't know kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, so I was, I guess you could say I was shocked, but not surprised to find out my son was gay. I just, I had totally, I'd been living in La La Land. I did not. I did not have a clue, Um, but at at the same time I did. So it was weird. So anyway, we kind of went through that adjustment. And then a few months later, he actually had attempted a a suicide attempt. Um, Oh my God. And um, that was like the wake up call for me. Um, We got a call. Uh, My husband's phone, of course, was on silent. We were at church and Sunday school, Um, but he had received a, a phone call from our son and I had been texting Jaron that morning and he was by that time he was at the University of Utah he had transferred to the U and he called his dad and left a message saying 
Um, don't be mad. I took all the pills that I had in the house and they're taking me to the hospital. Um, and he didn't tell us what hospital. And so, um, we ran and grabbed our youngest son and raced down to Salt Lake on the way. And I remember being in the car and not remembering how my phone worked. I was such, such, I was in such a panic stricken state that I, I couldn't remember how to use a cell phone. I probably couldn't have even remember. I, yeah, my head would have just been, yeah. I mean, just scrambled it's crazy. eggs. I mean, yeah. yeah, your brain just kind of turns to mush. And so I was like trying to dial different hospitals to see what, what hospital he'd been taken to. And my husband finally just grabbed the phone for me as he's screaming down the freeway at 80 miles an hour and and dialed 911 and said, someone just picked up our son and took him to the hospital. It's a suicide attempt. Where did he get taken? And they said, University of Utah Hospital. So we drove there. Um, we waited about an hour in the waiting room before they would. And then they, one of the nurses finally came back and said, Jaren said that you're okay with medical stuff and that you'll be fine if I bring you back. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I am. I'm totally, I'm not squeamish about stuff usually. So they yeah. took me, just me back. Uh, my son and my husband waited in the waiting room. And um Walked into the room, there was, I don't know if you really want this whole description. It was pretty awful. Oh, um, well, you just, you just share what you feel is pertinent. And I, I just like, I've shared that. it before and it's in, it's in my first book. Like I've shared the experience because I don't know why I just feel like it's cathartic and it's also something people need to know, like what it is well, like. Well, a huge um, part of this podcast is for processing. So, I mean, if mm-hmm. it's a, if it's a processing, uh, you know, if, if it is cathartic, cathartic is a great word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, this is the floor is yours. (laughs) Well, thanks. Um, so anyway, walked in, he's, he's covered with charcoal from, they make you drink charcoal when you take a lot of pills, um, suicide attempts. Really? Um, So his face was, and face like chin and chest were all covered with black charcoal. Um, there was a tube down his throat and one down his nose because they were pumping his stomach. And um, I just remember the smell of the room was awful. The the whole experience was just a nightmare. And um, uh, yeah, it was just like a, the biggest uh, wake up call of my life. And I just said, I love you. I'm glad you're still here. And um, we just cried. We just cried together. And Jaron doesn't remember any of this because he was still pretty out of it. Mm. Um. So after that, we had the long process of helping him recover. Um, he had told me like a, a, a little bit before that, maybe a month or two before that, that he was gay or I, yeah, I guess it was when, cause we had that conversation in the car. So I knew that he was gay and I had kind of started to process that, but then this on top of it was just like another huge blow. And um, my only thing was like, I don't even care anymore. Like. I don't care. I just need to keep my son alive. And that was kind of, that became my focus. Mm. And a few months later, as we're trying to help Jerry, like it's a totally traumatic thing for the body to go through this process. And so he had to relearn how to eat and swallow and uh, all of these horrible things because they had done, they, you know, they shove a tube down your throat and, you know, pump your stomach and it's, it's very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're still trying to help him recover. And, um, my youngest son came to me and he said, mom, I, I need to talk to you. I think, I think I'm gay. 
And um, he was about, and he was about 12 or 13 at the time. And he didn't know, he didn't know what had happened. I mean, he knew what had happened with Jaron because he was there, but he didn't know why. He didn't know the reasons why. He didn't know okay. that his brother was gay. We hadn't really, we just hadn't really talked to him about it. We were just like trying to process it ourselves. And so yeah. I just looked at him and I said, Devin, uh, we love you. It doesn't matter if you like boys or if you like girls. We just love you and we just want you to be a happy kid. So just go be a kid and do what you want to do and have fun. And that was literally all I could do at that time because my whole energy no was kidding. focused on helping Jaron heal and helping him um, just stay alive. So um, I just kind of had, to, unfortunately for Devin, but he like he was a great kid and he's just like, okay, you know, so he went off and and he was all right, but I really didn't have any ability to even handle that at that time i just basically yeah. had to say you know we love you so much and just be a kid just go be a kid yeah. um after that um i it my perspective on everything changed and like i said mm -hmm. i wasn't so worried about the eternities anymore i was worried about <laughs> right now i was worried yeah. about my kid being alive now my kids being happy now and um yeah that became more of our of my focus um but we did go through a lot of the the guilt and shame stuff that that we put on ourselves for you know did i do something wrong does was my kid abused was like all this all this stupid garbage that you know that we're taught that isn't true no we kind of had close. to go through that whole deconstruction of these beliefs that we'd been handed that you know if you were gay then, then you must have been abused by someone or you know, maybe your dad didn't play baseball with you enough. And that's why, you know, it was all these stupid Jeez. misconceptions. So we had a lot of deconstruction of that to do. Um, Pre-existence even. I mean, doctrinally, uh, people can really, uh, there's so many layers of shame. There's so many layers of like, what, what have I done? You know, right. is it me? Is it me? Where you're like, how could this ever be your fault? Like, right. People. Kids, kids that are like abused outright by their parents are, are like, like, I mean, dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, it's so it sad makes no to sense. me to see yeah. such good people suffer so much and ask, what have I done wrong? And you're like, there's right. nothing when you didn't do wrong. anything wrong. Right. There's like, nothing wrong the with you. <laughs> even asking that question. Exactly. But that was kind of the. I don't know that it was blatantly taught, but it was implied that there's something wrong with being gay. So if, if, if you had a gay kid, it was because you did something wrong. And yeah. so when you have two gay kids, you obviously did something really wrong because you got two of them. Yeah. Um, that was like the, the, the thought in our minds. And I'm ashamed to say it now because uh, I realize how stupid that was, but Oh, don't feel ashamed. Um, I mean, you, you have really good reasons. I mean, yeah. And my boys have both that. been very patient in helping us like, you know, as we've come to understand what, what this all means and how it's just who you are. It's just an aspect of your identity. It's not anything, any, you know, nothing that was done to you, nothing that was um, brought upon you or cursed, you know, you weren't cursed with this or like, it's just, we had to go through that process and our kids were both very, very patient with us and willing to teach us and talk to us about it. Mm -hmm. um, so we were very lucky. I think my deconstructions after that 
kind of sh whole shift um, in my perspective, then um, my husband got called to a singles ward bishopric. And the reason they called him was because they knew we have a gay son and there were a lot of issues with that in the singles ward that he was called to. Okay. Uh, and so they wanted someone with that perspective who could like communicate with the young men and young women who were experiencing these difficulties, trying to stay in the church while trying to navigate, you know, being bisexual or being gay, or even we had a transgender person in our war in that singles ward. So they knew that he had that, he was able to like deal with that or communicate with that. So um, that's why they told him that's why that he had been chosen. And so we did this three, three year experience with the singles ward. And as, as the wife of someone in a bishopric of a singles ward, I didn't have to do a calling. I just got to observe for three years. I didn't, I didn't have to teach. I, I did teach occasionally. I would teach like temple prep or something, but mostly I just got to observe. And um, it's crazy what happens when you just get to sit back and watch. You really kind of, you just go, oh, shit, it's a machine. It's like, it's a, <laughs> does that, I mean, that's harsh, right? But that's how I no, felt. No, no, like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I have much harsher <laughs> things that I would I would be saying right now. Yeah, pictures. like I started to kind of see like, oh, this is just a big machine that I was, I was just a little cog of helping the machine go, but I wasn't really like, I was just part of this big, uh, or it was almost like a getting off the merry-go-round and watching it spin around and it's not going anywhere, but it's just spinning. And now I'm yeah. watching the spinning instead of being on it, experiencing it. And it was a whole different perspective for me. Well, and I really started to be able to... I started to be able to pull back a little and as an observer and see the craziness of it. And it, um, by that time, Devin was about 17 and he was coming to the singles ward with us. He was kind of, he did, I mean, our ward was, they had good leaders and stuff, young men's leaders for the most part, but they weren't always included in the group of guys because they were different. They weren't like really effeminate, but they were, you know, kids pick up on differences. And, and so my boys yeah. felt different. And so Devin just started coming to the singles ward with us. And after a while he said, mom, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. And it became a fight every Sunday trying to make oh. him go and trying to bribe him to go. And I uh, finally, I just, you know, I finally just said, let's, let's not do this anymore. I was tired of the fight. So I would go to sacrament meeting with my husband in the singles ward where I was totally invisible because when you're a 40 something year old woman in a singles ward, you're invisible, which is fine. I just have to mm -hmm. cut in here real quick for all of our listeners who are not Mormon, who don't really understand the lingo oh. <laughs> uh, vernacular of what we're talking about is that a ward is a congregation yeah. and there are several little congregations within a stake and mm -hmm. there's a president over that stake. And then within each of those wards, there is a bishop who kind of, you know, governs this stuff. And so yeah. uh, it is very military stuff. Uh, it's um, it's kind of like Salvation Army, honestly, where they have like their generals and they have their kind of like their command. And, yeah, kind and of. we're out here, you know, soldiers for Christ almost. But right. um, and so 
uh, Linda's talking about how she was in a congregation. Her husband's was an ecclesiastical leader for Mm -hmm. a congregation entirely for singles ages 18 to 30. Is that right? 29 29 or 30. Yeah. I think they could come out when they're 30. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? You're just old. You know, you're just so, so old. And and I just can't even believe that now living in Sweden and and, and people get married when they're 30. Mm -hmm. They have their first children when like very, very, very different perspective. Common. It's like commonly, yeah, let's have, let's not even get married. We can even have you know, kids, there's a Swedish term um, <laughs> called sambu, which means uh, a same a same living person, someone that lives with you, mm-hmm. basically. And 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 you together um, can have, you can buy a house together. You can, you know, there's a lot of, it's almost like it does, mar- marriage doesn't matter here so much. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even file taxes jointly everything is individual tax. And so, you know, I think Sweden's really keen on making things the least tumultuous possible with breakups. And, you know, it's like, well, why would you ever get tangled up in each other's finances and taxes when this might not even work, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think as a Mormon, you know, that's, that's appalling. You're like, oh, you're breaking down (laughs) society. I'm like, no, they're looking at society statistics and they're saying, it's very logical. Do something. Yeah. 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 Just anyway, but that's a, a huge thing for me. It's like, oh yeah. Like our kids don't even have to be married to have right. sex and to, you know, to live with someone first and to really see if things work out. And totally. then the system really supports single parents and the daycare and, and the school systems are almost like intertwined. And, um, before and after school programs being very affordable and very simple and kids just stay at school longer or they go to school earlier and there's you know breakfast free breakfast free lunch every single day for every Swedish kid Um, so it's just very integrated in what is best for the children and uh, even though it's not perfect, even though Swedes will have their complaints, even still, I'm just like, you guys are like, you don't even realize how much better of a system you have it here. Mm -hmm. I love that you guys complain about how imperfect your great system is because it's like (laughs) people, if you even knew, if you knew, you know, what the education system was like in America, you would just be You'd be shocked, I think. But anyway, but so that was uh, along the lines. Here we go. So back to the ward. That's what Linda's talking about is that it's (laughs) a congregation made entirely of of kids between 18 and 29. It's a pretty strong Mm -hmm. signal that that the prophet wants you married within those years and and they will have nothing of you after that. Yeah. Or they put you in a whole different group i don't know what the old singles ward is called but it's got a different name so. oh so there's an old singles ward uh-huh oh. uh single it's not single adult i guess it is so it's young single adults and then single adult i believe that's how oh it is, so. man when you yeah start just tooling with people really got to categorize everyone yeah pretty freaking pretty weird man anyway yeah but it was well, really the best place for Devin to be at that time even though he wasn't old enough to be in that ward because 
nobody gave a crap about us because we're just the old, you know, we're just the family in the ward who's like there to help out. But when you're 18, 20, 24, your life is about you and you're totally absorbed in what's going on in your life. And that's how it should be. Yep. I'm just saying it that's didn't matter reality. to anybody. It didn't matter to anybody who were, who we were, why we were there. Like we were just kind of invisible and that was perfect for us, mm. at least for Devin and I, my husband wasn't invisible because he was obviously uh, in the leadership position, but for Devin and I to just kind of be able to disappear uh, was perfect. And so he he finally, I finally gave in and said, you know, let's just not do this. So I would go to sacrament meeting with my husband, and then I would go to Starbucks with my son after <laughs> I got home. And we started calling it Church of Starbucks. We're just going to go to the Church oh, of Starbucks. Linda. We're going to get a little coffee cough. We're going to hang out. We're going to chat. And it actually was really, really good for him and for me. Oh. And it became like, it, it, it was enough distance for me to see that I was happier not being in it than I was being in it really and allowed me to start you to consider your happiness yeah hmm. oh yeah I I it allowed me the just the space to consider that it might be possible for me to be happy without that construct in my life so when um, when oh if you have anything else said that's fine I just, um, after that, it was we went yeah. back to our regular ward, and then the the uh, policy, the 2015 policy, Oy. happened, okay. and that was kind of the breaking point for me. That's when I said I really don't agree with this anymore, um, and I'm going to take a step back. Mm. So that was kind of where I started, like pulling away. Really, like more than just mentally, I started like physically pulling, you know, away and not attending every week. I started to where I would just go once in a while and try to support my husband every few weeks and go with him. But um, yeah, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Mm-hmm. And that was when I just decided to, I just, I, I think I used the phrase, um, I'm on my way out. <laughs> That's what I would tell people like, I just say, I think I'm on my way out. And they'd be like, what do you mean? Because most people can't even conceive of that, you know? And say, what do you mean you're on your way out? Like, what does that mean? I'd be like, I yeah. think I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on my way out. I'm leaving the church. And that didn't compute with most people that I spoke with. Wow. So, you're you're um, like, there's a, there's a thing that we're in called Plato's Cave. And I'm leaving mm-hmm. the cave now. And- right. I actually turned around and saw the actual, yeah, the real, the real picture. And, and yeah, so, and I also remember, um, I had a friend who was coming, we were, she was coming to Salt Lake City and we were going to go to this, this party in downtown Salt Lake that she and her daughter had tickets to. It was like some mermaid dance party thing. It was some really weird, not anything I usually would go to, but (laughs) she came to my house to get ready and she said, um, don't judge me, but. I'm not wearing my garments. And I said, why would I ever judge you? Like, I don't, I don't care if you wear garments or not. But after that night, I was like, oh, that's, that's even a possibility that I can do that. Like until my friend said it, I hadn't even occurred to me that I could not wear my garments. And so maybe you want to explain what garments are to your non Mormon listeners. 
I mean, yeah. So for those of you listening who don't have experience with this, garments are not just the word that you you would use. One would use for like for clothing. clothing garments. Like a, a, your clothes are a garment and the garment mm-hmm. is, you know, what that word is. And what cults like to do is what I'm learning from studying of cults is they'll take a word from the dictionary and they will add meanings to that word that you can't find in the dictionary. And so, so the, the meaning behind garment is that there are yeah special sacred underwear um, that you are supposed to wear every day and night for the rest of your life, except for like swimming. And if you ever have sex or whatever, and then um, <laughs> uh, what else? Just sports maybe uh, sometimes, but sports, I, sometimes I was, depends I was on the person. even hardcore where I'm like, I won't, I won't take my, my garments off even for sports. Cause I'm, I'm just, mm-hmm. I just want to be close to the savior so bad, which, yeah. you know, now I look at it. I'm like, I can't believe that I, put so much emphasis on my underwear but yeah how could and you let not, someone right? else decide for me what underwear I should wear that was very strange to me now but or that yeah. anybody cares if I wear the same kind of underwear that they do or not because it's, it's yeah ridiculous. it's not like Calvin Klein coming around being like oh, you guys aren't wearing my underwear not, come on guys not wearing like, Calvin Klein yeah is there the best underwear now yeah. <laughs> there's yeah so my friend said that and I was like oh and then I kind of thought maybe I want to try not wearing my garments uh so I did and just little things like that I remember like it takes there's so many layers that you have to break through that there's these beliefs and fears around that you have to let go of Mm. um and that was just one of those big ones for me was was the garment and not feeling obligated to wear it all the time because I didn't believe it anymore I didn't I didn't believe that it protected me I didn't believe that it made me more special than anyone else uh I always hated the garments from day one as a woman I would have been like what you know a man yeah very comfortable they're designed for men just a little longer boxer briefs and and a t-shirt and a t-shirt but a woman they're designed for the comfort of men fit in there it's like am i small or large chested and and they're not attractive and (laughs) it's not attractive and you just feel frumpy and it's like may they started to come out with like sleeker design and stretchier you know elastic Mm -hmm. material and you're like starting to look anyway geez man yeah but still still very like i don't know i i feel like i was totally out of touch with my body from my knees to my neck like there was I just kind of disconnected from that part mm. of myself and I didn't even know what bra size I wore. That's how I shouldn't, I don't know if I should share that, or not, but you, you know I what? seriously is, did not. This is probably the cleanest episode we've done yet. <laughs> okay. So I, well, I'll try I'm to, frankly, I'll try to throw some more swear words in then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm frankly like a, afraid too, because I'm like, you're just such a nice, <laughs> nice woman and i'm like i'm like the mormon programming from years you know mm-hmm, i'm like oh mm-hmm. like i can't sister barney around sister barney you know, right. like, oh. but, actually uh, edit my instagram a lot after i write things out then i'm like i can't say that i can't say that word five times in this one like i just gotta <laughs> i just gotta edit it out a little bit so i do heavily edit oh um, dude. because i'm scared shitless every time i post something i am scared to death really i'm i'm I fear not seem that way. The repercussions. Oh my. When I yeah, read every stuff, single I'm like, time. This woman, 
is going to freaking be the next president of the United States. Like you, <laughs> you come out with so much fire and so much confidence. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Linda, I'm, I'm voting for you. I wish it mattered. Oh, I wish it mattered yeah, yeah. who was president of the United States, but it doesn't, but I'll vote it for you. It doesn't really. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Not, um, yeah, but I, it's every single time I'm just scared to death that I'm going to offend someone, hurt someone, even though I know nobody's like, I might have one or two faithful still believing friends who get on there once in a while. And my mm. husband does because he, he's very supportive of me and my journey, even though he's still <laughs> a nuanced believer. Uh, okay. I don't know that he reads everything that I write. I don't know, I think he just clicks the heart and then moves on, but I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. Your your beautiful pictures is is probably he's like oh there's my my beautiful wife <laughs> yeah he just looks at the picture and I, I, I like but that what one. you said about <laughs> you not being seen in the singles award I will have to say mm-hmm. that you are very very attractive and so I don't I bet you people were looking at you in the singles award <laughs> but anyway I just think you're gorgeous I doubt it anyway. well thank you you're welcome thank you so much yeah but so that's yeah I don't know like and then after let's see so we got. We kind of did the, I could tell you about when I resigned, that kind of didn't go well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Resign. So, oh, man, we have so much to talk about. This is so fun. I can't even believe it's 45 minutes have passed already. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, let's do that. Let's let's just let you spill and spill. And I won't even, uh, I won't even worry about it. It's just, this is great. And um, I just want to make sure that you get to say everything you want to say and know that just, I want you to know that you're always welcome back for episode two, three, however many you want to, you want to oh, come back for. So yeah. don't feel like you have to, you know, get it all out now. We can always come back. No, again. It, I'm, I don't, I don't even know. Like I feel so far removed from it now that it seems like almost like a dream that it happened to someone else. Do you know that feeling? Like, I almost, almost know like feeling. it wasn't. I still yeah. feel pretty like close to fresh feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope for that day where I'm like, oh, wow. That's well, that's so when cool. we met two years ago at that retreat, um, I was so terrified. I don't know about you, but I remember being so terrified just being there. Yeah. And I, uh, that was the first time I had spoken out loud in front of my. Uh, husband my partner my life partner how I felt how I really felt and mm-hmm. I didn't know how he was going to receive that he mm-hmm. was also scared because he didn't know how angry everyone there was going to be he thought maybe the people would be yelling at him and you know saying rude things to him which nobody did John Dillon would never have let that happen but right um, I I remember being so terrified at, at that retreat and shaking shaking when I handed me the microphone to tell my brief story as my introduction like we all we all gave a little short introduction about ourselves and Mm. um I remember uh being so scared to say the words in front of my husband that I that I was leaving and that I didn't believe it anymore and um the energy you and Lindsay brought to that group of people like to this day I am so thankful for you and for every single person who was there at that retreat. I feel like every single person there was supposed to be there. Like we were supposed Mm -hmm. to come together at that time. Um, 
because I got so much strength from, from you, especially like you're, you're such a dynamic personality <laughs> and you were so fun to just listen to. And you were oh. so honest. You were so oh. like, this is how I feel about this. You know, and you just said it and let's fuck some shit uh, up, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you yeah. had a lot of questions about sex and you mm. were like, <laughs> you're like, let's go there. <laughs> and then I was so scared and I was just like shaking the whole time but um and I'm also an introvert so I I know that I didn't even speak to you until the very end of the retreat oh. and then as everyone was saying goodbye and leaving I just kind of found you and Lindsay and I just said hey you know you guys are awesome and we spoke oh. for a few minutes but um yeah you guys you were amazing I, oh thank you I loved what you had to say about yourself you're like I was like, uh, when you when you were you know saying those words before we left, I was just like, oh, Linda, I'm so glad. I thought you, I thought you were kind of you know just like really annoyed by me and or whatever. Like, <laughs> oh no, you know me and my husband, we have these just a, these sitting bitch faces, you know, <laughs> resting bitch face. Resting bitch face. <laughs> yeah, we both have that. We both have that very it's hard to impress me kind of look on her face most of the time and it's not how we feel inside it's just our faces no I just so. love it it's fine because your honesty and your your just being genuine was like so huge for me because yeah what we were all experiencing was insane fear and mm -hmm. we're talking about generational fear that is passed yeah. on we're talking about temple ritual fear of of slitting your throat from ear to ear mm -hmm. if you ever talk about this kind of fear and this is death threatening fear uh yeah. that uh, this is this is cancellation of eternal marriages fear this is never mm -hmm. seeing your kids again fear i mean this is this is the most diabolical dynamic fear i think i had ever experienced i thought when i yeah. took my garments off i was going to be struck by lightning i'd climb trees for a living i i am in one of the most <laughs> dangerous occupations on earth and yeah. when i took those garments off it was in complete faith that my life had to to be different even if that meant i was going to die because my mm -hmm. garments weren't there like fine fine kill me i'll die then because yeah. i don't i don't care anymore even though i was terrified But yeah. I thought of well, this. Well, that's true. Like when you do those rituals, the end, which they don't do those anymore. They don't have you act them out anymore. Uh, but that is a, like when you take something and you say it and you get your body involved too, like you involve the thought and the action at the same time, you are really cementing that into your psyche. Yeah. And that makes sense. That's probably why I still feel fear every time I post something that might be construed as, you know, not faithful because there, there's still that fear somewhere in my body and my DNA that, that, you know, that I'm going to go to hell for it or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to die. Super, super hell. Right. It's not even like third, the third degree, lowest degree. Of no, heaven. it's We're way worse. Outer darkness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about real hell here, not just fuzzy, right. fuzzy hell where it's like, eh, you know, You just, mm -hmm. you just, you'll be eunuchs and you won't be able to have sex and you won't have kids and yeah. Yeah. It, not it, like regular person great. hell, not like regular person hell. You're <laughs> like, you were one of the elite who had the entire truth and you rejected it. That's, you know, that's the worst hell is when you do that. So. Yeah. And that's diabolical because I think that's uh, very arguable to, 
taking a case for child abuse because I, I had no idea what I was getting into. And luckily, well, for their sakes, they were lucky that they had me so well for so long is that they took out the, the thumb slitting of the throat and the, and the chest mm. and stomach stuff. And, and like before you, naked, before yeah, you before, went, so that, yeah, that, okay. that was when, when I heard that, that that what was going on and that was what my hands were doing with the thumb extended or whatever in the palm down and mm -hmm. it was keeping that hand motion in the ritual but not doing the slicing of your your you know of your, your neck body. or your bowels yeah right uh yeah. i that that was just like this explosion that just just knocked me right out you know of of ever thinking that that was okay like i mm -hmm. i thought no this is this is why this religion is still a thing everyone's scared to death and, um, yeah, so, I mean, I imagine you went through the whole uh, thumb slitting thing. I did. I, I don't remember when they took it out, but I got married in 85. So, yeah, it was still there. It was still there. I mean, but I, I oddly enough, I, so evil. you know, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't remember having a strong reaction to that. The one thing I remember hating about the temple, to be honest, was like the, the, well, actually, I hated pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> Patriarchal order. I never, I never really liked any of it. The one thing I did like that most women hate is I liked veiling my face. Okay. Um, because it was almost like I got to leave for a second. I got to go into myself, and I didn't have to be in that room. Mm. Um, so I kind of liked it when I got to veil my face, and I just felt like I'm just, it's just me here. I'm not in this place. I'm just, it's just me. Just me and what I conceived as God at that time, so I liked that about the temple. And but everything else, I pretty much I never really liked the whole the whole thing. I tried, I tried to like it, I tried to really love it and be dedicated to it, but I never really, never really enjoyed it. Yeah. So. Well, I think you're among very, very good company. I mean, I. I started to love the temple so much. I went, I went, we went weekly for the first like two years or whatever of our marriage. Mm -hmm. and before that I was, yeah, I was kind of a temple nut, you know, cause I felt mm -hmm. so much peace there. I felt like that was kind of like that missing link in our lives. I didn't see my parents go to the temple so often. So I thought, okay, well, this is really like, this is really what was wrong. Like temple like that. Everything points that to was it. What was missing. The highest yeah. ordinances, of course. That's why you know, we weren't such a happy family. And I mean, we had our happy moments, but I just think there, there are way, way, there's way more that goes into why we struggled so much than just whether, you know, they went and did rituals for dead people or not. But yeah, I just think like, ah, I could get stuck on this subject for way too long. So anyway, but yeah. Temple. Well, temple I kind of went through the whole scrupulosity phase. Um, so do you remember John Dillon talking about scrupulosity at that retreat? I think City? so. I think so. But yeah, please. That was the first time I'd ever heard about it. I'd never heard that word. I didn't know what it meant. But mm. he talked about it. And it's basically just like an obsession with being a religious person of being faithful and of doing everything right so that mm. you get all of the rewards. And I, as soon as he started describing what that meant, I was like, oh, holy shit like that has been me um there was a point where after i had <clears throat> i had left the church um 
I was walking down the hallway of my house one day and I saw a picture that I had hanging on the wall of, I don't know what it's called, but the, the woman who was a sinner and she's, she had fallen at the savior's feet and she was like yeah. begging for forgiveness. Yeah. And in the picture that I had it was by Greg Olson. She had a red dress on and I loved that picture. As soon as I saw it, I like wanted it in Deseret book and I saved up for it and, you know, saved my money so I could buy this beautiful picture this painting. And I walked past that one day and I just realized like that picture is making me insane. Mm. And, um, I started walking around the rest of my house and on every single wall, I had either a picture of Christ or a picture of the temple, or I had a saying about God, or I had a quote of a scripture, like in the mm -hmm. vinyl on my wall, everywhere, everywhere okay. in my house. Yeah. And, um, I just, that day, it was maybe a week or two. I don't even know, maybe a month after that retreat where I had learned the word scrupulosity and realized that that's what I'd been doing. I just took, I left one, I left the picture of the Salt Lake Temple where my husband and I were married. And I left one statue of Christ because my husband still believes in Christ. Everything else came down and I threw it in the back of my car and I called a friend who's still an active believing member. And I said, do you want some artwork? <laughs> and I told her what I was doing. And I said, if you don't want it, it's going away. It's going to go in a dumpster or I'm going to take it to donate it to the di or somewhere i don't want it in my house anymore i can't mm. i just can't deal with this anymore so i took it and i gave it to her and then my husband came home from work and he's like where'd all of our pictures go i was like hey so funny story um <laughs> oh boy <laughs> and i told him like i just realized that this is making me insane like i literally can remember a point where and i'm really embarrassed to say this I was so obsessed with Jesus Christ. I wanted to bathe in his blood. I wanted to bathe in his blood. That's how I just wanted to so get so really close to Christ. So can I please kind of explore that with you for a minute? What, sure. what was it about GC, JC? Uh, mm -hmm. what, what about Jesus was so, um, what captured you? Like, why did he get mm. captured? Like that. Well, he was perf he was perfect, and he loved me perfectly. Okay. And so, uh, I wanted to get as close to him as I could, and I spent years reading, studying everything I could get my hands on that would bring me closer to Christ, that would make me have a better understanding of him. And um, the you know every there's so many scriptures about you know being cleansed by Christ's blood. Mm. that it became an obsession to me that if I could just do that, I would feel so much better. I would just be like at peace. And now I didn't want to literally do it. It was like metaphorical in my head that that was the sure. ultimate, that well, was the ultimate connection. To you're him. sitting there in church every week being like, okay, this is the body and blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and we have this right. very, very rote prayer. Oh God, the eternal father. You know, yeah. and so it's really just kind of like, this is what, yeah, I could totally see but that. It was, le totally it was like that. next level insanity. And I, as soon as I recognized it, I just went, I, I have to get, I it made a decision. It was either him or me. One of us had to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I chose him. And um, I'm like, you know, peace out. I got to go. Um, thanks for the good times. But I have to save my sanity. So, so. what? 
So what is, I'm so glad you did save yourself and your sanity because that's number one. What, what yeah. is, what is your view of him now? Um, I don't believe that there's a divine being who uh, watches me from the sky and who cares if I drink my caffeine hot or cold. Mm. Um, but I think probably he's a compilation of stories and uh, there could have been someone by that name at some point in history who was a, a great teacher or a guru or a philosopher or Zen master of some sort mm -hmm. who was then uh, people just used his name to tell stories about, you know, how to be a better person. Um, but I think it's a compilation of a lot of people's imagination rather than an actual being who like is magical or, or who can save me from my pain and my sins mm. um, because I don't believe in sin either <laughs> anymore. So right. that's kind of a, like, yeah, I need to, uh, yeah, that's kind of my view of it now. And I really don't know, like, I don't even know, but I, I don't think that there's a, a, a sky God watching me to see when I screw up or who's going to jump in <laughs> to save me before it's too late. I just don't, right. I can't buy that anymore. I just can't mm. swallow it anymore. And, and that's why I wrote the one post about Mormonism killed my God. And they really did. Like they, Oh, they man. took the whole concept of Jesus and just, it all had to go. It all had to go out once part of it went, all of it had to go. Yeah, um, I so I, I admire relate. the people who can still like find that belief. Um, but for me, it's just not, it doesn't compute. And I, I always felt like I was just, like, I didn't, I didn't conflate being uh, a Mormon with being a good person. I didn't think you had to be Mormon to be good. I didn't, uh, I didn't think you had to, you know, believe that all of the, you know, the rules and regulations and live by everything. I still thought there were good people in the world who weren't LDS or Mormon or whatever, but um, I was able to separate it enough. But in the end, I, I, I tried to hold on a little bit, but then I just realized that because of that scrupulosity, I had made myself insane mm -hmm. uh, trying to measure up to what I thought he would want me to be. Mm -hmm. And then the thought just came like, there's nobody outside of you who's going to make you whole. You're already whole. And, and that was it. I didn't, I didn't need that uh, story anymore, I guess. Hmm. That's quite a, that, that's a, man, if I could, if I could put, eloquent words to this, which I, I'm, I'm really struggling here. Is, is just talk about the transaction that you just, you had there, right? That you just got, you just got that all for free. Like mm -hmm. you felt, you feel like you're okay for free. You yeah. don't have to pay, you don't have to pay an amount of tithing. You don't have to show up to any amount of church services or, or, you know, like make sure all your kids go on missions. Like, I mean, the amount of input or investment that God quote unquote requires of you is, is enormous, like mm -hmm. enormous. And so for you to just be like, no, I love me and I feel good. And that's, that's it. And yeah. wow. Like, and I realized like, and I think for women, especially 
in the church, it's, there's that heavy, heavy burden of never enough. And I got weighed down and bogged down with that for so many years. And that was my whole reason for that, getting into that scrupulosity, that religious OCD was because I just wanted to feel like I was enough. And if, if anyone could do that for me, it was going to be Christ. It was going to be this savior figure. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the harder I looked to find him outside of me, the more I realized that there was, there was nothing outside of me that was going to fix that feeling that it, and that, that feeling, that idea of not being enough was implanted in me from the beginning hmm. by this organization who then gave me the cure for the illness that they implanted in me. <laughs> um, and I just saw it for what it was. It was like, it's craziness. It's insanity. And it, it was driving me insane. And once I saw it, I just was able to let it go. I just let go of it and, you know, that groundless feeling you fear so much is actually the biggest feeling of freedom that you can ever experience. Yeah. So. That's huge. Now, I have a thought about Jesus and, I, and I've, been, I've been really struggling in life, you know, especially coming out of Mormonism. I mean, you should be, I, I think people that are just, leaving Mormonism should be given like a severance package of like a year paid vacation and just like <laughs> free therapy and oh, that would be great. unlimited babysitting and date nights that where you can just kind of go over your life and, and reconstruct. Mm -hmm. And you need uh, like at least a year of therapy. Yeah. Uh, at least you need a lawyer. A lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're going to resign, you got to have a lawyer. So they should cover that. Yeah. Well, uh, luckily we have quit more legal fees. So I was able yeah. to just get my name off the records legally yeah. and lawfully unwedded. Yeah, that guy's yeah. great. I don't know his real name. Oh, wait, I, should, but... I, I really need to send him a donation. I he asked for it and I was just in such a jam that I was like, oh, I don't even know what I I just can't even think yeah. about anything right now. And I'm sure he gets it all the time. But yeah. Um, but what's been what's been really blowing my mind lately is that Jesus represents empathy to me. He always represented empathy, someone that understood me perfectly, meaning that what I was going through was completely legitimate. Everything is understandable. Everything I had wrong with me or mistakes I made or struggles I had were for good reasons. And I was not a bad person. And, and I think giving people a tangible person to attach, latch onto for that empathy, for that understanding and that forgiveness is, is just incredibly lucrative. I mean, for them, yeah, but now brilliant. being yeah. free of him, I'm like, no, Jesus was not perfect. He didn't know shit about life. He doesn't <laughs> have any kids. He didn't know what it's like to have some, an autistic child doesn't know what it's like to have uh, anyone of, you know, same gender, a, a queer child. He doesn't know mm -hmm. like what it's like to get up and go to work every single goddamn day and still not pay the bills. Like he doesn't know anything when it comes to real life. And, but what he, but what I thought he knew is that what it's like to struggle and to, and to get through it and to come out on top anyway and yeah. 
like well that's kind of the story like yeah that's kind of the story and uh I guess for me I finally realized like God didn't create us in our image we created God in our image (laughs) and (laughs) once you figure that out you're like you know if you go to a a southern baptist church you're not going to see a white Jesus you're going to see black jesus on a cross and if you go to another country where they're brown or they're whatever their jesus is or their god is going to look more like them and so the white christian god is white and he's a male because males are the ones in power and like it totally makes sense when you sit back and go oh this is just something man created so that like our god totally resembles like a, a tyrant king who just wants his way and wants people to bow down to him and obey him and he's very jealous very jealous and very angry and then you have the new testament god who's a little nicer he's a little more feminine uh Mm. but he's still like you know kind of an asshole so um i think we just mirror what we we're trying to create a higher version of ourselves that makes makes us feel better and that's kind of what we came up with you know over the centuries yeah i mean that that's really it's really powerful especially being in europe my brain is kind of like always kind of being broken more and more open i'm like whoa 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 like um (laughs) to live in a country where my you know my ancestors like hardcore ancestors came from you know like hundreds of years ago probably even further back and and you think like um I st- I've been studying Napoleon for some reason. I'm like, what? Who the hell was Napoleon? Really? Who was he? And I'm into this documentary series about him, and I'm, my mind's just like, whoa, this is Napoleon? What? And <laughs> something that c- kind of popped out was like, it, it goes in line with what you said, is that Napoleon did not believe in Catholicism. He didn't believe in a god, but he he knew that religion was really, really effective at keeping the 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 common people quiet and, and basically docile. And Mm -hmm. he saw it as a really powerful political tool. And so they employ it. Um, And, you know, his rise to power was, is just crazy. I haven't finished the whole series yet, but I just think like guys like this, just they, they refuse to live on earth and die without having really made their mark. And, Mm -hmm. I think Joseph Smith falls completely in line with this. I think Brigham Young just fed from the same trough. And he's like, I don't know how Joseph came up with this crazy shit out of his ass, but I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to go with do it. this, you know, like I, he was kind of Joseph's bitch. And he was like, man, mm-hmm. if I could just have had Joseph's, you know, charisma and charisma, spontaneity, yeah. like just come up with the craziest things like buying mummies and freaking, Oh, like, just always always keeping his people busy doing something impossible like saving every person on the earth that ever lived and finding your genealogy back to adam but yeah so yeah keeps you busy (laughs) it's it's so heavy but i think through this through podcasting with great people like you it's really lightening lightening the load and it's really so Mm -hmm. fun to just feel like hey you know this this really is fucked up with what we've been through and th- th- this is a silly religion that no mm-hmm. one should give any credibility to when it comes to hurting people. Sure, you can believe it if you want, but the minute you start fucking with my kids and you start talking to them 
about sexual issues at a very young age and planting in their brains a lot of crazy shame and fear. And then also compounding that by telling them they're less or they're worthy or they're broken or whatever because they're trans or they're queer. You, you're going to, I'm going to yeah. fuck you up. Like you don't, yeah. you don't get in this, in this arena uh, ever again, like proposition eight, they should have gotten their noses bloodied. Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to say that, like literally, but that so, some serious shit should have happened. And, and I think the world's just was starting to catch on to LGBTQ plus rights. And, and so, but now I'm like, man, you guys can't play this game again. Like, yeah. And that's the whole point of my saying I wish I would have left sooner because I had two kids who suffered so much because of what they were taught and partly because of what I taught them because it was taught to me and I it was taught to me by people who loved me and wanted what was best for me and I believed it and uh, unfortunately they were the ones who paid the price with a lot of pain and um you know, being left on the fringes of a religion where they did not fit the mold. And I've, I've expressed that to them, to both of them at different times. And they have both said, mom, it was an okay way to grow up. Like it wasn't perfect, but I'm, I wouldn't change it. They both said, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change growing up Mormon because it made me stronger. It made me a better person. It made me more compassionate person. Once I got out, once I left, I was able to see like, yeah, that's, it's totally fucked up, but there was so much that came, it's so much strength and so much compassion that came from having gone through those things. Mm. So for me on my end, I wish I'd have never let my kids be subjected to that, of course, but um, they've both expressed that they wouldn't change. They wouldn't change their experiences. And I don't know if they're just trying to make me feel better. (laughs) But I think they, I think they really mean it, like because they're both so compassionate and kind, and they're both allies for so many. They're out. They both live in New York City, and they're both out protesting for the Black Lives Matter movement. And they're just so mm-hmm. passionate about it, and they're so committed. And neither one of them has left the city this entire time since the pandemic and the wow. the riots and everything. They're like, no, this is where we belong, and this is where we're going to be. Wow. We're going to see our community through this. And they're just both so, and uh, my oldest son is an amazing person too. I'm not trying to say he's not, he just didn't have that same experience, the same heartbreak that, that my two youngest did. And it has made them such wonderful, loving, kind, compassionate people. Mm. And I, I just think, you know, the best people are the ones who have been through some shit and they've come out the other side and they are willing to lend a helping hand to the next person who's coming out of whatever it is, those, Mm -hmm. whatever those situations are. And, um, you know, it's just, you got to look at the good that came out of it. And, and it's not always easy to look at a painful experience and say, you know, that taught me this, or this made me a better person, but, you know, it's a good perspective to have. And that is one thing they've done for me has shown me how to do that. So it sounds like they've reached uh, quite an, an advanced level of acceptance. I think it sounds like, yeah, they really have. And they're, you know, totally 
they're happy. Um, my my middle son, Jaron, who attempted suicide at age 18, is now a beautiful performer, actor, singer, writer. Um, he's not on any medication. He's not doing, you know, he's been through the therapy. He's thriving. Um, my youngest son, who is queer, is a, he's a he's a drag queen in New York City. He's a performer and he's amazing. And uh, they they both just are doing wonderful things in the world that, you know, that's partly driven by that pain that they had to overcome. They want mm-hmm. to make a difference. They want to share their gifts with the world. And um, I couldn't be more proud of all of my kids and um, the the good they do and the things like I just let them teach me. I just let them teach me, as I'm sure you know, as a father our kids are going to teach us way more than we ever teach them. And mine definitely do. Mm. They definitely have taught me so much. And, uh, but I do regret that they had to suffer. Like you never want your kids to have to, of course not to feel pain or to, to have to endure any kind of bullying or shaming or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You never want that for your kids. Well, you don't. And I think, I think, um, our move to Sweden has, has got a lot of, there's got a lot of really good reasons. And, and, and a really big one is, um, uh, the neutralization of sex shaming and, um, mm. uh, you know, the sex education is just, you know, just as normal as breathing air here. And they, they don't discriminate for any kind of gender, um, uh, gender identification, um, and in any form, I mean, obviously people are people. So some people will have their opinions, but you're never going to have like political, uh, uh, disadvantage or you're, you're never going anyway. So I just thought, well, and what a gift, like that's such a gift to your kids and they're going to be wonderful as they become adults. They're just going to be wonderful allies for, for everybody who needs them, you know, in the world, that's going to be so awesome. We, sh- we, I re- really think so as well. I mean, it's not easy to be in a foreign country, but it is wonderful to finally meet my family that's lived here my whole life that we only would see it like Christmas time sometimes and be like, Oh, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, like we should visit. And it's like, yeah, but then, you know, here we are. Do, working. do any of them, belong to the LDS church and what do they think of your like of your story of how you were in it and now you've left and yeah like we've I would say I would say there's more that have left than there are that are still in it um which is really fantastic uh my one cousin um Hannah she's been just incredible uh with with her support, with helping us figure out, navigate how to get to Sweden, like what to expect. Like, um, Mm. she's, she's the one that turned me on to all the, all the benefits that, you know, that you get from paying Swedish tax, like, and for, for one thing, I have to say that in Sweden for paying taxes, you get something called barnbedrag, which means child, uh, allowance. So per child per month, you get help money from the government uh, to help pay bills and buy groceries and things just because you have a certain amount of kids. 
not mm -hmm. like having a tax credit or a tax write-off at the end of the year. Like, you know, and the, the, to me, it's just so amazing to be a part of that. But so the family, the family has been really, really, really supportive. And Swedes on average don't like confrontation. And so anytime I've been kind of trying to stoke up a fire about it or like get really upset about it, it's just kind of like they, they have been, they've had a way of just, neutralizing it for me and just being like yeah but okay well let's you know <laughs> let's not let's not get too upset about it you know you're in Sweden after all like there's nothing to, <laughs> you don't need to like you know get all mad and yeah. it's just been really really I mean for anything I think it's it's saving my life um my wife is you know she struggles with it for sure but she, we're all kind of like we all have kind of a mission we're on together where it's like, well, no, like we need to, we need to see this all through and we just need to kind of navigate this. And even though learning Swedish is really tough, it's not like we're in Russia we're learning Russian where, and not many people speak English. Like everyone in, mm -hmm. in Sweden pretty much speaks English too. So it's more like, you're going to get along better if you know Swedish rather than it's, it's absolutely necessary. And they yeah. even have English schools here too. So if the kids are just really not doing well, we can always, we can always figure out a solution to put them in mm -hmm. English school. But I love my career here. I love my job. Um, uh, being a tradesman in Sweden is like a dream. Like I, I wow, it's that's amazing. Yeah. I don't have to run a business and be able, and just to be able to make ends meet, I can, I can just get up, I can go work my job and I can come home and we can pay our bills. Mm -hmm. And, and Lindsay's going to start her career soon. And then we'll have a double income and the Swedish system to support us. And the kids will have before and after school programs. And, um, and it's very affordable. We're talking like maybe 200 and, $60 a month for full daycare for four kids um, wow. before and after school programs. And our little baby is like uh, three and she, she's already going to preschool, which she loves because it's just such a, such a better, 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 better model and free hot lunches for everyone every day. Mm -hmm. um, it's unbelievable. So I just wish America would, would really, really adopt and look, like Bernie Sanders really started to try and get things going in this direction, but I think it's going to have to be a state level thing. So if you live in the state, say Oregon would be, you know, a place to be like, let's pay higher tax, but we're going to actually have the state support uh, like Sweden or Norway or Finland does or Denmark. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> I just... I just think it has to start in such a smaller level because America is so, so seemingly out of control and hard to really enact any kind of change. I mean, they're, they're having trouble even just accepting race right now, let alone yeah. giving them the freedoms of like paid time off because you're sick and like, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, it's like any large system, whether it's like a large corporation or religion or government it's really they're kind of all resistant to change and they just kind of want to go with the status quo and do things the way it's always been done even if it's not effective anymore 
even if it doesn't work for everyone, you know, it works for the, the people it works for. And it's usually the people who are sitting at the top. So it's really hard to instigate change. Yeah. America is an aristocrat's playground. Mm -hmm. And they play on top of the heads of middle class and lower. And they just, it's either eat or be eaten for no reason. There's no reason Mm -hmm. that it should be that way. There's, there's no threat. We have computers, we have technology, we can, we can make life much better for everyone. And it's just unbelievable when they want to call the communist card. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, just, just open your mind beyond Stalin. Like, we're not talking about that, you know, anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh, but there's my struggle. That's, that's really what I'm uh, I'm always learning about because it really, I didn't even know that you could own a business in Sweden. I didn't even know that so much is privatized here that you could, that, I mean, it's very similar to America and in all these things that people say is great and unique about America. It really isn't. And, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, there's free healthcare, free dent, free dental for kids until they're 22, free university, four year university, uh, I mean, all of that is is in the system, but there again, there's another challenge that the U.S. really likes war, and they really like um, blowing shit up in the Middle East and mm-hmm. keeping people out uh, fighting because that's I don't know it's why profitable, but right? They I blow like half half yeah. their budget on military. I mean, yeah. It's, it's... But you're a great ambassador. Like, I want to move to Sweden now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you could live, you can afford a house in the woods, yeah. and the woods yeah. are close to the city. I mean, we don't even own a car. Like, not everyone lives like that, but the closer the cities you are, you still have this very uh, nature. I mean, nature is so much a part of it, and but we can still commute on buses, even in in the the surroundings we have i mean trees everywhere mm-hmm. and the bus stop that will take us right to work if we need it but and bikes yeah. are very common and we just ride the kids to school and bikes and they're getting very healthy and there's very lo- much lower preservatives in the food a lot of things are actually yeah. grown and produced in this in this country and and uh there's a very high uh, high value on recycling, reusing, repurposing, use it up, wear it out, make, take care of your stuff. And, uh, it's just, it's just what you get, I think, from a mature country, something, a country that's been a thing for a thousand years or something. I don't know the exact number, but you know, you can reflect back for generations, centuries on how the country has been run. And America just, you know, California alone is not even, just very little over 100 years old. I mean, you, mm-hmm. there's not a lot. Of, and then you go back and then you start remembering how the Native Americans were shafted. And then you're like, well, that's not very cool. And, you know, where's, where's our sense of patri- patriotism? Where's our sense of, like, you know, pride in where we live? And it, it just, it just, the plug just got pulled out for me. I'm like, I am not proud to be here. Like mm-hmm. I am not making anything better because I, I know that there's something better out there and I want to try it. But that being said, 
like I said, I have a hard time talking about Sweden without having it sound like I'm bragging or like I'm elevating myself above people who are not in Sweden. But (laughs) it's just so, so drastically better and different that I just think, man, I really hope. learn there. Yeah, there's just a lot to learn. So forgive me for kind of going off into that little tangent, but I think more and more people that know, the more will actually change because you never think about it unless you hear about it. Yep, very true. So, man, Linda, this has been so amazing. We haven't even talked about your books. We haven't even talked about your, you know, like everything that you work on. You said you have a business. I would love Mm -hmm. to have you back on um, at, you know, whenever it's convenient. And so we can go over a little bit more about, like, I want to hear more about your your story, uh, your excommunication or whatever happened there. Like mm-hmm. it sounded like there's going to be some really fun stuff uh, to, to relate. So. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't excommunicated, but I did resign and it was a little bit of a drama, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> not, so... a, not a huge, not a huge deal, but yeah. Well, that can, that yeah, can I would love to fun. talk anytime, anytime you want to talk. And this has been, I just feel like we've known each other for, forever and even though we've like spoken face to face only briefly um you're just you're you're a good friend oh it's a joy to speak with you dude i can only say the same i feel just so honored to have you on my little show and it's just this has just been so nice for me as well like i i hope you know what what it means to me um thank you so how do people find you and um, just any platforms that you like to direct people to that you can then uh, share your wonderful self with? Um, probably most people who listen to this would be interested in my Instagram, formerly Mormon me on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook and I have a couple of books on Amazon, but I don't, I don't promote the first book I wrote that much anymore, even though there's still a lot of useful information in it. it was I was still kind of in the believing mindset when I wrote it. Okay. So there's a few references to God and I'm just like sort of embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's dumb, but um, there's still good information. Um, it's more about like how to, uh, it's called Habits That Heal. And it's just about habits that help us heal physically that are spiritual habits like gratitude and stillness and meditation and things like that. Mm. Um, but there is a little bit of my scrupulosity lingering there in that book. So, um, but they can check it out if they want to It's on Amazon. That sounds exciting. And I, I would love to pick that up in our next conversation about your books. And I, I should at least pick up your, the one you're most excited about um and uh i would love is it i i i would love to read it before we talk however mm-hmm. i'm not a fast reader but i will at least give an attempt it's uh, not a very big book so to read it okay yeah okay on cool. Amazon, or i can send you a copy just send me your address and i'll send you one we'll ship it to sweden do you have an ebook it's not it's not an ebook no okay unfortunately well, we will figure something Actually, out. Actually, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is on ebook, but it's not like one you can listen to. It's not audio. Oh, that's fine. As long as I can read it and I don't have to wait for a book to come in oh, the mail. You can get the ebook. <laughs> Across yeah. the Atlantic Ocean. 
Um, yeah, you can get an ebook. Or have someone it. pay for that. I, I, no, no, this ebook is fine. Eh. Okay, uh, whatever works best for you. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. But well, I'm willing and ready to talk to you anytime, my friend. <laughs> well, we shall have you on again. So, um, again, everybody, this has been Linda Barney, and um, I'm just so, so happy to ha have had uh, this moment to talk. And um, is there anything that you'd like to kind of leave with our listeners, just kind of a, uh, just 30 seconds words of encouragement, say someone's really struggling down in the dumps or they feel like there's no way they could ever get to where you are. Is there anything mm -hmm. that you could kind of share with them? Um, I remember when I was first leaving and the biggest heartbreak that I had was, and I think I said this at the retreat, um, that I felt like it was the bravest thing I ever did was leaving the church that I loved and grew up in. And I got treated like I was weak for, for leaving when really it was the hardest and the bravest thing I felt like I'd ever done. And so I just want people to know, like, if you are going through that, that is, um, it is hard and it is heartbreaking and there is a lot to let go of, but it's worth it. And there's so much joy and happiness and there's so many, amazing people on the other side waiting for you and help they're ready to help you and it does get better it really does get better and, and life is so beautiful without the dogma that's, it. that's that's wonderful and may i ask you how long do you think would be uh like when do you started to feel a little bit better what what would you say was it like a year after you left uh it's very incremental and slow for me but probably after um, part of my letting go process was resigning. And once I resigned, I really started to feel the freedom and the joy that I'd been kind of hoping I would feel. Mm. Um, I, I waited for a while because I didn't want to hurt my husband and I didn't want to hurt family members who were still believing. And I finally, through the help of a therapist, just decided that in order to really truly feel free, I had I had to like not let them have my name anymore. And I'm not saying that's what anybody else has to do. That's just for me. Mm. Um, the, the analogy that my therapist used was that if you have a, if you have a tether on a bird, it can fly away, but it can only fly away so far. And then it can, you can always pull it back if you have that tether attached to its, to its leg. And so mm. that's kind of how I felt like I was, I had still that tether attached to me that they could keep pulling me back in through guilt or through family members or people that I loved or just whatever thoughts and ideas. Yeah. Um, so I, I had to finally sever that for myself and it was really hard um, in my marriage and with uh, my oldest son it was really wrenching for them, but um, mm. I had to do it for my own. And I think as a woman, I just needed to take back my authority. And that was kind of how I did that for myself. So once I did that, I started to really just feel the freedom and the, and the joy that I'd been kind of hoping would come. So, um, but it did take a couple of years to get to that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it was like a war zone for me. So, I mean, it's just starting to get better and, and uh, it's really nice to be surrounded by so many atheists here and, and uh, mm -hmm. people, people kind of like my colleagues are kind of like, really baffled that the bible is even really a thing and they're like really people people think that that's 
people <laughs> think, think that that's, that's real? a real book i'm like mm-hmm. yeah dude they're like no really and they're like yeah and i was like i wore these special underwear they're like you wore underwear for your church and i was like yeah and they're like but god doesn't even exist and i'm like i know right I know so that now. wild they're just they're just totally baffled by it and it's just so fun to be a minority uh in well not no longer a minority but just have that mm-hmm. experience be like no it, it was very uncommon for a swede to have experienced what americans quite commonly experience but right Right. So <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, it is really, really just such a such a flip of the of the table for sure. Well, yeah. anyway, I won't hold you any longer, but it's again it's wonderful. So formal, formally Mormon me, keep yep. please keep producing your awesome content, and um, we're I'm so excited to hear more about your stuff and more about your stories uh, at our next at our next visit. Okay. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. All right, Linda, you take care. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.